morning. How are we doing? Excellent. Uh, my name is Tom Kyle. My beautiful wife, Randy, is in uh, front row sitting next to me or was sitting next to me. And we have the privilege of serving the sister church of this church in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it's in a town kind of like this. It's out away from the city a little bit from St. Louis and a place called St. Peter's. And uh, we love it there. My wife is a native St. Louisan. I, I am not. I've lived there four different times, and that's way plenty. Uh, but we, we love St. Louis. We love the church there. And it's such a privilege to be here. I've actually spoken in this church many, many times, but not in a while. Uh, our history is that Randy and I lived in England in the 90s, where we met Dan and Fee before they were married. And at a, a conference, uh, the Lord supernaturally put Dan and Fee and I and just joined us together with Randy. And we've been working together over the last 26 years. We're super, super close with Dan and Fee. We consider them friends. And in so many ways, they just speak into our lives and bless us. So we have a lot of history with Dan and Fee. We're actually in this church the first Sunday it started back in 2002, 1, 3, something like that. It's been a long time ago. Um, but we are privileged and blessed to be here this morning, and can we pray? Would that be okay? Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your tender mercy, and your steadfast love. As we heard already at the beginning of worship that you're good, you're in a good mood, and I thank you for your favor. And Lord, we just this morning, we just want to bathe in your favor and your kindness and your mercy. We understand that it's all about you. It's not about us. That any anything in us that's good or beautiful or lovely, it's because of you, Jesus. And this morning, we, we give you glory and honor and praise. This morning, as we, we open up the Bible, Holy Spirit, we need you. We want you. I speak right now just softness of hearts in this room. Lord, that we could receive from your word this morning, that it would, the seed from heaven would go deep into our souls, that it would have its way, that we would mix it with faith, that it would produce a, a bountiful harvest. Holy Spirit, help me to communicate your heart to your, your beautiful people here this morning, that we could see you and understand you accurately. We would have a revelation of who you really are and, and the relationship that you're looking for and desire with us. So bless our time. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Now, I know you're in a 2022 series, Selah, uh, which pause, reflect. And this morning, I, I very much want to jump into that very same vein of um, what the Lord is saying to life churches uh, abroad and to us this morning. The actual title this morning will, will uh, be a familiar phrase to many of you. Some of the, I already heard old people this morning. You know, I, I'm thinking I said yes and amen to that. Uh, but this morning, the title of the message is Stop, Drop, and Roll. Stop, Drop, and Roll. Uh, for many, it's a familiar phrase. Uh, if, if it's not familiar, that's okay. Just hang in there. Uh, this morning, I want to open the, the word out of the book of Joshua, and I love the book of Joshua. I, I feel it's so relevant for the church today. It's a book of taking ground, and if you don't uh, know a lot about the book of Joshua or the Older Testament, Israel had been in captivity as a nation for over 400 years in a country called Egypt, and the Lord sent a deliverer in Moses and brought them out, and they 
as a couple million people, they marched a few days worth across the uh, a seed opened up, walked on, on dry ground. Miracle, 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 amazing stuff. They, a rock followed them that the water came out of. Bread appeared every day, manna from heaven, birds. It was just crazy. Their clothes didn't wear out. But as they were walking towards the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, they struggled and they had a tough time. And they came to the edge of the Jordan River and the promised land is just on the other side. And they sent out 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb were two of them. And Moses sent out these spies into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and said, see if it's as is. And as many of you will know, the spies came back, spread a bad report, and then they began wandering for 40 years. And it was ugly. And over a million people, anyone, a male, 20 and over, so women, you were safe, but the men, 20 and over, all of them died in the wilderness simply because they were grumbling, complaining, and they didn't believe God. It wasn't because of murder or heinous, quote-unquote, sins. They simply didn't believe God, and they mumbled and complained. And now, 40 years later, they come to the Jordan River again, led by Joshua, this amazing leader, and they're ready to cross over into the land flowing with milk and honey. And so, we're going to pick it up, and we're going to look at chapter 9 in specific. But just before we get there, I want to read out of Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 8 and 9 and 22 and 23 out of the NIV. And this is Moses who was leading the people at the time, and he was prophesying and speaking to the people. And out of Deuteronomy, this is what Moses said to them. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land, the Lord swore to your ancestors to give to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know about you. I don't like milk unless it's in uh, ice cream, but honey works for me. If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to hold fast to him. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. So the Israelites are getting ready to cross over, and in the promised land, in Canaan, there's tons of foreign nations, tons of foreign groups and they were not godly people. They sacrificed children. I won't go into just how ugly the people that were in the land that, at that point were. But God spoke to the Israelites and he said, drive them all out. All of them. Don't make treaties with the people in that land. Don't make agreements. Don't make covenants with them. All the people that are in the promised land have got to go. All of them. Drive them out. Don't make any handshakes with the people in the land. Get them all out. In Joshua 3.10, into the book just a little bit, kind of referencing some of the people groups that were there. Joshua 3.10, this is what the Bible says. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. There were all kinds of people groups in the promised land, and part of what they had to do, the Israelites to inherit, is get these people out. No agreements, no handshakes, nothing. 
And as some of you will may be familiar with the Old Testament in Jer, uh, J- James, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter six, they came to this massive, massive city called Jericho. It had two separate walls. It's it's impregnable. It's huge. It's intimidating. And you have two million Israelites, and they look at this massive city, and they're like, how in the world do we do it? Do we build ramps? Do we, you know, shoot boulders at it? Do we tunnel underneath it? And the Israelites at that point were in a great place because they listened to God, and they prayed, and the Lord spoke to Joshua, and he said, I want you to do this. I want you to walk around the city one time every day for six days. Now, this is their battle strategy. Walk around Jericho one time, but nobody say anything, not one word. And every day, walk around it once and then go back to your camp. But on the seventh day, walk around it seven times and then shout, and you'll win. Now, I I have not been to West Point. I'm not a military commander. But if you've got a massive city that's impregnable, you know, you think, I'm going to walk around the city and then I'm going to shout on the seventh day. It's great. I mean, everybody knows that's what you do to take over cities. It doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? And Joshua was the sort of leader. He says, you know what? If God said it, that's what I'm going to do. It doesn't need to make sense. All I need to do is listen and obey, and it's over to God. So the beginning of the book of Joshua, it's just amazing things. They, the next city they went to, AI, kind of a tough story. But again, God gave them a strategy that in many ways just doesn't make sense. But again, what Joshua did is he listened to God and did what God said. And then we're going to come up to the book of Joshua, chapter 9. Okay, everybody with me? Listening to God, incredible success. Then chapter 9. And we're going to read through the whole chapter. Now, when all the kings west to the Jordan heard about these things, God destroying bad guys, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, When the people of Gibeon, which is a city, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had had done to Jericho, which is a city, and Ai, a city, they resorted to a ruse, a huge lie. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, this is the lie, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, the Hivites were uh, from this area. It's kind of like St. Charles in DeKalb County. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? The Gibeonites said, we are your servants, they said to Joshua. Then Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And the the liars said, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we've heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt 
and all that he did in the two, to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to, said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them, and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm, liar, and we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, liar. But now and see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Lie, lie, lie. Verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out on the third day and came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beroth, Kiriath, and Jerem. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn on oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly, all the Israelites, grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live but let them be woodcutters and water carriers and cub fans in the service of the whole assembly. I, that's like some new interpretation. I don't know where that slipped in. So the leaders promised to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you? Well, actually, you live near us. You are now under a curse. You will never be released from the service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day, the Gibeonites, I'm sorry, that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. A horrible story. They're doing so good, the Israelites. They're just moving all the bad folks out. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a Rambo-type story. It, you know, it's just blood and guts, but the Israelites are listening to God. They're taking possession of the land that God had promised them. They're doing perfectly, and they're doing great. And then they come to this day when they came upon the Gibeonite people. And then, again, Joshua 9, verse 14, this is our salient, our crutch point right in the middle of it. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. They listened to a story 
but didn't ask God what his thought was. Up to this point, the, the battle plan for Jericho, it's nuts. Who's going to, why, Lord, why walk around this big city? Because I told you to. You asked and I gave you a battle plan, and it was amazing, and the walls of the city came down. They're doing so good until they encounter this group of people. Old food, old clothes, old shoes, everything about this story appeared to be legitimate, but they didn't ask God. Why would you not inquire the Lord? Sometimes it's so easy to read the stories in the Bible. and What's wrong with you people? Duh. And then I look at my life. The reality of my life. And I don't know, I've walked with, uh, I've been a Christian for, I think, 45 years this year. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. I was a mess. I was not raised in church. I never, ever, ever went to church because I didn't want to go to church. I had no interest in God. I didn't believe the Bible. I used to mock my church-going friends in my teenage years. I was not a believer in any way, shape, or form. When I got saved at 18 years old, when I became a Christian, a Jesus follower at age 18, I'm reading in the New Testament about what Jesus is doing. I'm like, what? Water into wine? That's kind of cool. You know, bread? You got to be kidding. Nobody can do that. It was all brand new to me. And now I've, I've walked with God for 44, 45 years. And my question is, am I still hungry? Am I still listening? I've had uh, a decent number of failures. Quiet, honey. I've had a decent number of failures in life. But we've had some amazing successes where God's been so faithful time after time after time. God's been so good, so kind to us. But now after walking with God, after some Jerichos, some successes, after some AIs, some successes, where am I at in my heart now? Am I still young? Whoever said old earlier. I'm still young, not immature. There's a subtle difference. I'm young on the inside still. Or have I grown old? Have I fossilized? Have things on the inside just not so limber anymore? As I read this story, I look at these people, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? so easy to read it in retrospect. And I look at my life and I think, Lord, help me. They're doing so great. Surely they understood the need to inquire the Lord, to stop in the midst of this people group coming to them. Who are you? Where are you from? It's right there. Where are you from? And they just listen to the story. And the people say, hey, we've heard your God's great and amazing. Yeah, you're right. My God is. And somehow it puffed them up. But why? Why did they not listen to the Lord? Why did they not say, Lord, what do you think about this situation? And maybe it's similar to me. I came up with just three easy reasons. Thank you, Jesus, I'm listening. <laughs> Pop, and he gets my attention. See, I know somebody in the back was sleeping, and the Lord just said, wake him up, angel. Why, why in the world, after they've been walking with God and seen successes, why would they fail in this moment? Maybe they're similar to me in some ways. Maybe 
the issue in their heart was they're just a little lazy in this moment. They just get lazy. It takes time to stop and listen. It takes time. Lord, I'm busy. I got things going on. For people in this room, you're in America, I've, I've been fortunate. We have been fortunate. I've lived overseas three times outside of the United States. And it's just, it's a different pace in most of those countries and the rest of the world. In America, we're so doggone busy. Boom, 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 boom. Things attacking our time, attacking our interest, attacking our prayer time. Sometimes, maybe when I get into challenge, maybe it, it just, it's, I'm too lazy to take time. I don't have time. I'm just going to go with it. Or maybe it's simple logic. I, I can be accused of this. My, I'm not the most overly emotional person in the, in the world. I can watch most movies and I don't cry. My wife has got Kleenex and snot and things are flowing. And I'm just saying, yeah, okay, how's this going to end? In the Western society where we live, we, at times, we're so logical. Do things just make sense? And because it makes sense, we just go and do something. We don't stop and ask God, Lord, what do you think? It's so easy in our Western uh, understanding. You know, if you, if you uh, maybe you're like this. My wife and I uh, have a couple of cars. And when maybe you're researching or thinking about buying a car, what do most people do? This is not a trick question. If you're thinking about buying a car, what do most people in the United States do? Go on the internet. You research it. You find all the stats, how the uh, mileage on it, how long it is, and how long the warranty on it. You research it. And what do you make? You make an informed, logical decision. The most bang for your buck. I don't know about you, but I bought a couple of cars over time that I wish I wouldn't have. And I wonder if I just stop and said, Lord, this makes sense. And the Lord says, son, don't buy that car. Trust me, don't buy that car. For some of the young people, maybe just, this guy is so amazing. He, he's on the worship team. He, sorry, guys. He's on the worship team. He sings like an angel. He's got a face. He's just uh, like, oh, my gosh, I love him. He loves Jesus. What could be wrong? I want to marry you. Marry me. And you start dating the wrong people. And maybe it would, so many people would be so much, save so much pain if they just simply stopped, got past the physical appearance and said, Lord, what do you think about this person? Can I just tell you, as my wife and I have led churches for over 30 years, and so much of our time is spent helping couples in their marriage. You go back and story after story, and this is to the young people, wherever they are. Stop and ask God. Don't get so caught up with how wonderful he is, how many muscles. I do have them. They're just different size. The muscles and, oh, he's got this great education. Oh, she's beautiful. I always mar wanted to marry a redhead. Lord, stop and inquire the Lord. How many mistakes, how many tragedies could be averted if I just listened to Jesus and asked him what he thinks? So laziness can be an issue. Logic can be an issue. And the other is just pride. I know already, I know what God thinks. I got, the, I got this, God. Now, we would never say that out loud because we're good Christians. But do my actions actually belie the truth? 
in my, in my pride, I'm pretty sure I know what God wants to do in this situation, so I'm just going to do it. I got this, God, without the I got this, God. And for me, how arrogant, how presumptuous for me to think, God, I don't necessarily need your opinion on this. I know, I know what you would do, really. As I read through the Bible and see how God does things, I think, Lord, I would, on most every occasion, not do what logic would tell me to do. I need to listen to your voice. So I don't know what Joshua's um, issue was in this moment. Maybe he was on a timeline, got to get things done. I, I don't know if it was laziness, logic, pride, but I do know me. And I think I need to stop and just ask God. They inspected, but they didn't inquire. They looked at it with their eyes, but they didn't listen with their hearts and their ears. It's the same old story in the Garden of Eden when mankind started in Genesis 2. God put two people, a man and a woman, in a garden, told them to tend to take care of it. He said, there's two trees. There's one on this side over here. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and here's the tree of life. Now, whatever you do, don't eat from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. But there's something, I don't know what, it, aside from Satan lying to them, but there's something inside of mankind from that point on, inside of humanity, I want to know. I want knowledge. I want information. And there's nothing wrong in and of itself with knowledge and information. We should learn. We, we, God has given us uh, the most powerful computer in, in creation right here. There's nothing wrong with knowledge in and of itself, but it can't replace relationship. It can't replace humbling myself and saying, God, this makes so much sense. What do you think? What is your opinion on the matter? And ever since Genesis 2, man has always pursued, at the expense most times, many times, information and knowledge at the expense of relationship. And how many disasters in my life, how many disasters in your life would be completely averted if I just stopped and asked God what he thought? They should have sought connection, but instead they went with information in Joshua 9. How presumptuous. And again, I look at my own life, and I think, Lord, I've done it too many times. May I just listen. I'm not that smart. I can't figure everything out. Where the Bible in the New Testament is filled with people, like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. And the sister, most of us, you know the story, the other sister, Martha, she's like, I know just what Jesus wants. I got this. I'm going to go cook for him. And I wonder if Martha had gone to Jesus and said, would you like a well-cooked meal or should I just stop and listen? Mary knew and chose better, the Bible says. And Martha's doing something good. I don't know about you, but I love to eat. And I'm pretty sure, I just have a feeling Martha was an amazing cook. And typically, I don't stop those people. Do what you do. As long as liver's not involved, I'm golden. I'll eat any of it. But it's so easy at times to stay busy and to do activity and to do things instead of just stopping, calming myself, and listening. And these people in Joshua 9, they did the exact thing that God said not to do over and over and over. Don't make treaties with the bad guys. Because they didn't listen, they looked. They were deceived by information. 
void of interaction with God. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, in the New International Version, it says this, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge can make me arrogant, full of myself, while love builds up. Knowledge, information, puffs up. Lazy logic and pride. In James 4, 6, the Bible says, you won't have this one up there, guys, but James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. He's, he's in opposition to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't have to know everything. I don't know a lot. In fact, Randy, quiet. There's a lot of things I know nothing about, but am I humble enough to go to God who tells me, go this way, go that way. Don't do this, don't do that. How do I know? How would I know if I'm proud? A definition of pride or arrogance in the, uh, I forget what dictionary, I think it was Webster's, it said this, it's an offensive display of superiority or self-importance. Arrogance, pride. I know, God, I've got this. I don't use those words, obviously, but my actions, am I actually telling God, I don't need you? We're going to move here. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to do that. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to engage with this individual. The choice is always life with him or information and knowledge. And in this case, and so often in my life, I chose poorly. Joshua was eating from the tree of knowledge and not eating from the tree of life. In 2007, my wife and I were living in Chicago, in Algonquin, just probably 30 miles north of here. And we had gone through a super, super difficult time, and it was an absolute tragedy, probably the worst time in my life, probably, the, probably I think my wife would say the worst time in her life. And we were, we were part of this church, Dan and Fee, we uh, we'd kind of stepped down and aside, and Dan and Fee began being the senior leader uh, of the church here in, uh, in Chicago. And this horrible tragedy happened to us, and we're like, Lord... What do you want us to do? And both of us knew we were going to move. And I know some great places to move to. San Diego, San Antonio, anywhere in Florida. Mm. Phoenix, Tempe, Sedonia. There's so, so, Denver, mountains, sea, sunshine. There's some awesome, and I was just floating some of these possibilities to the Lord for him to consider for us. And I remember one day, and again, I was just so broken on the inside. It was just an absolute mess because of what someone had done to our family, a believer, a Christian. And I was just discouraged. I was angry, mad. And I was standing on top of a, a concrete a landscaper's retaining wall. Water is spilling into a, a, a spillway. And I'm standing on top of this wall, and God spoke to me. To There was a piece of the concrete wall that slipped down into the water, and uh, just felt like the Lord told me, go down, pick it up, put it over there. So I picked up this piece of concrete uh, retaining wall, and I flipped it over and put it back where it was supposed to go. And what I didn't know was this concrete stone, this retaining wall, had been sitting in the water for a long time, and it was stained black. And I, when I picked it up and flipped it over, my hands were stained black. And I was like, oh, mama ain't going to like this. And I just felt the Lord say, Tom, where you're moving next is worse than this. 
and it's going to be the most difficult situation that you're moving to. I was so pumped. I was so excited. I said, Lord, great. It's going to be horrible. How awesome. And I thought, well, it can't be Peoria, you know. <laughs> but we, we ended up moving to St. Louis to step into a situation that was just horrific. It was so bad. But the thing was God had told us where to go and when and why. And we had the grace of God with us to walk in this situation because God said, it's bad and I'm going to be with you. We had confidence to step into difficult situation because God had said and we simply obeyed. I found in life, sometimes it's not so difficult. All we have to do is listen to the voice of the Lord. And from that difficult situation, we end up planting the church that we're in now. And God's been so kind, so gracious to us. In Acts 4.13, the Bible says this. Speaking of the disciples. It says, but the, these guys were noted as unschooled and ordinary. But rather, they had been with Jesus. And I think, Lord, I don't need, I, I've been to Bible school. I actually graduated. I know that's a surprise to many. But I'd rather be known as somebody looking at my life, that guy has been with Jesus than any and every degree that anyone could have on a wall. And the disciples were known as, these guys are ordinary, they're unschooled, but oh my gosh, those guys had to have been with Jesus because of the amazing life they lived. It's all about relationship, not about information. So for us, for now, so what do we do? How do we, how do we go forward in life? Maybe you're not great at just being quiet in the sila thing that we're in as a season, as a, as a church now. Maybe that's not your normal MO. You're a person of activity and you're a person of decision. Or you, I don't know, how many people love to fast? Well, there's two brave souls here. <laughs> and they're probably the thinnest people amongst us. Many people, most people, they just don't love that sitting and waiting and fasting and inquiring. It just doesn't come natural to maybe Westerners or American. So I think, how do I become this sort of person that I don't make crazy, painful mistakes that can influence our, our destinies for years to come? How do I do that? So we're going to do three GBHs real quick. Three GBH. Great, but How? How do I become this person, or how can I change? How can I learn? How can I grow into being the sort of person that doesn't make treaties that are costly? Great, but how? Stop, drop, and roll. That's how we do it. Stop, drop, and roll. How do we inquire the Lord? Very simply, the first thing is stop. Stop what I'm doing. For goodness sake, put the remote down. Turn off the podcast. I said it. I'm sorry. Turn off the podcast, put the books down. Put the controller down. Put the media device down. Maybe take a week. There's no magical number. But I, we're going in, in momentum and we have forward movement in such a way. And honestly, for many of us, when was the last time you actually heard the Lord speak to you? You actually heard, God said this, this, and this. And again, not a show of hands. But for so many people who've been in church for so long, they're like, uh, uh. He wants to speak to you. He is speaking to you. Right now, right today, he is speaking to you and me. 
because he's a communicating God. He's a loving father. And if I stopped long enough to still myself and to actually listen, it's not complicated, but am I willing to do it? And it's usually it's the cost of my music or the cost of my favorite books, the cost of more work. Just stop what I'm doing and just take a break and say, Lord, Sila, I want to hear what you're saying. The second thing is drop. Stop, drop, and roll. Drop. What do you mean by that? Drop to my knees. Lord, I just need to stop what I'm doing and humble myself and pursue heart connection with him. I am, my wife and I both are highly relational. We pastor the church in St. Peter's. I, I, I would be happy to meet with people, maybe not 24-7, but a lot. I enjoy people. I don't, don't enjoy groups of people. I'm an off-the-charts introvert. I get all weirded out on Sundays. I'm like, there's going to be a lot of people there. Who do I talk to? I'm going to find one. I'm going to talk to him. Hi, what's your name? And I'm going to talk to you for 30 minutes so I don't have to talk to all y'all because I'm an introvert. <laughs> but I love meeting individually with people and hearing their stories, hearing about their jobs, their career, their passions, their dreams. I love it. But when's the last time I did that with the Lord? Where I just, I dropped to my knees and Lord, I'm here. I just, I just want connection with you and I'm gonna stay long enough to hear. I'm gonna drop to my knees. And it, there's no, again, there's no magic formula to praying on my knees or praying at the foot of the bed. There's no, ma- but it's just, Lord, in humility, I'm gonna drop to my knees, figuratively speaking, and listen for your voice. Well, I'm not very good at that then I'm going to have issues. I'm going to have challenges. Unless you have a really godly wife who hears God for you, and she's already taken. Pursue heart connection with him. Psalm 27, 4, 8, and 13 to 14. 20, Psalm 27, 4, 8, and 13 to 14 says this. One thing I ask from the Lord This only do I seek. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. John 5.39 says this. Jesus speaking to religious people who know God and they've walked with God for so long. And in John 5.39, red letters, red letters, Jesus said this to the religious people. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew their Bible frontwards and backwards, and that's beautiful and awesome, and we need to and we should. We need to study the scripture, but not at the expense of humility, not at the expense of stopping and praying and asking God, what do you want me to do? I have this job opportunity that just came my way. My son needs to know what kind of school he should go to or what kind of job he should get. Logic tells me I can just tell him what he should do because I know him. What about just stopping and saying, Lord, what 
would you say to my son? What would you say to my daughter? She's unique. She's weird. She's just like me. Bad DNA. I can give her great advice, but is it God's advice? It's the rest of her life in front of her, and I want her to be successful. I want all her days to be fruitful. I don't want to just give her good dad advice that maybe my, my father in heaven would say just the opposite. Am I humble enough to seek his face and to listen? And the last and third point of GBH, stop, drop, and roll, is once I hear, once I've humbled myself, get busy and obey God. Let it roll. Get out there and get going. I know so many people are paralyzed by fear. What if, what if, what if? Obey God. When God says walk around Jericho six days and on seventh day do it, do it. Obey God. My wife and I have been in situations where it seems like what he's telling us, and we, we go to other people to say, okay, this is what I heard. Is this accurate? Is this what um, you would say? Get busy and obey God. We had a situation, I'll close with this story. Um, my wife and I, we were living in San Diego, which is a really good place to live. We were living in San Diego in 1986, and we have moved from St. Louis at that point to plant a church in San Diego in Southern California with a bunch of different couples. And we'd moved there simply to plant a church. I got a job out there. I, I worked for a company called State Farm. I'm not going to mention their name, but I worked for State Farm out there because I'm not saying they're the insurance company you should have. We moved out there, and I was working two jobs, probably 60 hours a week, you know, six days a week. I was just super crazy busy, and it, it was, even in the 80s, Southern California was very expensive. We had two children at the time, and I just felt like I'm trying, I'm supposed to be here building a church, planting a church. I was not the leader. I was supporting another couple leading. I just felt like all my time is being eaten up working this job or jobs, and um, a friend of mine is a dear, dear friend of John and Mary Washko, and it's a couple in St. Louis, Mike uh, Smith. He got me a job interview with the world's largest paper distributor. And it was 33 people that interviewed for this job. And um, after probably three months of interviews and uh, tests and whatnot, I got the job. And in 1986, it paid six figures. It was stupid big money. It was the type of job that it was a dream job, and I got it. And this, this gentleman gave me, um, you know, shook my hand, and he said, congratulations. Uh, you start in two weeks on a Monday. And then he said this. He said, Tom, he said, you'll be in San Diego for another couple of years, and then you're going to be transferred to Dallas. You'll be in the Texas area for four or five years, and then they'll move you to probably Northern California, San Francisco. He said, is, he says, is that all good? And I said, absolutely. That sounds great. Awesome, because I love to travel. So I shook his hand, and I can't wait to go call my dad because he's been praying for us, and all our friends have been praying for us that I get this job. And I walk outside the building, and I start walking down the steps, and I just felt the Lord say, is that your price? Is that six-figure offer? Is that your price? And he just felt him say, I told you to come to San Diego. I didn't tell you to go to Texas. I didn't tell you to go to Northern California. Is that your price to listen to him rather than obey me? And I was like, Lord, let me, let me just remind you of the job offer. It was like really good and we need money. So I went back the next day 
And I sat across from the gentleman, and I said, I can't accept the job. I'm so sorry, but thank you for the time. I'm sorry for the, you know, having to say no. And he said, okay, what's it going to take? You know, he was going <laughs> to up the offer. Wow. And I said, no, sir, you don't understand. I can't take the job. And he said, so you're going to stay where you're at? And I said, yes, sir. And he threw his paperwork at me and said, get out of my, well, he said it more colorful than that. But he said, get out of my office. And I walked out with my tail between my legs, and I just realized that what if I'd asked God up front? What if I'd taken the time to inquire? Because I needed a better job, absolutely. But I didn't ask God what he thought. And it would have been so easy for me to take the job. And three months later, some folks came and said, Tom, you need to go to Bible school. You see a call of God on your life. I would have not been in that place to obey God had I not heard him in that moment. So my point is this. People of God, family of God, if you're young, inquire the Lord. And I mean young, probably, well, at this point, 50 and under. But 30 and under, take the time to ask God what you should be doing. Little decisions and big decisions. If you're between 30 and 50, can I just encourage you, inquire the Lord. It makes a difference. And if you're 51 plus, join the crowd, the you know, the water's good, come on in. Inquire the Lord. So many people that I hear, friends, well, we're going to do this, we're going to retire there. Great if that's what the Lord told you to do, but if he didn't tell you, can I just encourage you, stop and drop before you roll. Ask God, what do you want from my years and those 50-plus years, which my wife and I are in? Lord, everyone else is doing this, but what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? We want to live for you. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for saving me from so many uh, poor decisions. I thank you for uh, bailing me out of so many poor and difficult decisions. But Lord, I want to I listen to you. I want to learn. I want to stay humble in my heart where I ask you, what do you want from me? I'm listening, Lord. From this day forward, I want to not be arrogant and just presume I know what to do. I don't want to be lazy and just think I don't have time. Lord, I've got time. I don't want to pursue information and knowledge without asking the one who gives all knowledge. What do you think? Father, for this group of people in this family, great blessing, insight, be soft of heart, pure of heart, Guide us, lead us, move us forward. Help us, Jesus, to understand what you want. There's a scripture I just want to close with. It just, it's Isaiah 58, 11, and 12. And this is for us. This is for people who want to listen to the Lord. Isaiah 58, 11, and 12 says this, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched, sun-scorched places. And he will make your bones strong. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins will be rebuilt, and you will raise up the foundations of many generations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach and restorer of streets to dwell in. Father, for people here this morning, facing big decisions, Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. 
For those of us who have made decisions and we're regretting them, Father, I thank you that you are the master, the master of extricating ourselves, that we'll be blessed in the days go forward. Lord, I need a strategy. I need help. I need help. And I thank you, Father, the scripture says you're an ever-present help in the day of need. Father, we humble ourselves to live in the days coming with you to hear your precious voice.